Hi, this is Adam from Garbage Shoot Droids, and you're listening to the Rebel Base Card Podcast. Great pull, kid. If they don't go for this, we're going to have to get out of here pretty quick, Chewie. You found something. You found the Rebel Base Card Podcast. What a piece of junk. I'm your host, Greg McLaughlin. He's as clumsy as he is stupid. Join me as we discuss Star Wars trading cards and card collecting. We need a statement, not a manifesto. We'll talk about sets from the original vintage. No, no, the one I'm pointing to. All the way to current releases. This? Yes. All right, let's get started. Commence primary ignition. Welcome back, or if this is your first episode, welcome aboard. My name is Greg McLaughlin, and this is the Rebel Base Card Podcast. First released in 1995, the Star Wars customizable card game from Decipher came out at a time when things like Magic the Gathering showed just how popular this type of gameplay was. Over the next several years, the Star Wars CCG came out with a number of releases that went past the basic set and covered a number of properties like Empire Strikes Back, Return of the Jedi, and The Phantom Menace. In 2001, though, Lucasfilm did not renew Decipher's license, but that wasn't the end of the story for this popular game. As we find out tonight, much like Darth Maul, it just kept fighting on. Sam Tashima joins the program to talk about the game and its transition from Decipher to a passionate group called the Players Committee, who keeps the game alive and well and running years beyond the original retail run. We'll also find out about the new cards that continually make the gameplay fresh and how you can learn to play yourself and find others in the community to battle against. Plus, did you know that there are national international tournaments? This is going to be such a great dive into this amazing game. We'll have more of this. I just need to get some homestead keeping done first before old Uncle Owen gets me in trouble. You can waste time with your friends when your chores are done. Now, come on, get to it. So it has been a fairly busy last few weeks as we had ScarifCon on Saturday, July 23rd. Uh, that was over in Rosemont at Murray Brothers Caddyshack. Dominic Pace was there along with a lot of the Red 5 crew. I was uh, invited and was able to participate. Got a lot of nice audio, which I will put together. Um, I have a feeling that it's going to be another one of my uh, my summer vacation type episodes as I have bits and bobs from some other uh, events that it might just make a nice uh, make a nice episode to put together. Uh, that will come down the road. We are still getting through some of our backlog, and so I'm very excited to get not only this episode out, which I know I've had in the can for a bit, but some of the other ones out as well. And I appreciate everyone's patience as we try to get through uh, the summer. There's just been, like I said, just a number of, of things going on. And as a matter of fact, C2E2 is next weekend, and that is... Uh, in the U.S. here, it is August, I think, 5th through the 7th, Friday, Saturday, and Sunday over at McCormick Place. Um, so that's going to be pretty big. As a matter of fact, I had a chance recently to talk with Cameron Johnson, who is a sketch card artist who recently just did his very first set with Tops uh, for Star Wars Finest, and uh, he will be over there at uh, C2E2, and we'll get a chance to not only... Uh, talk with him there, but you're going to hear my conversation with him as we kind of prepped for C2E2. So once again, just a lot of things uh, out there. And if I look at the convention schedule, um, C2E2 kind of brings my major participation kind of like 
kind of the end of it. Although we still do have, in October, we have the Chicago Non-Sport Card Show, their fall show, which I uh, will be attending and uh, kind of uh, get my list together, as it were. Um, this Friday, uh, July 29th, uh, as I am uh, not recording this, but as it came out, uh, Saturday, or excuse me, Friday, July 29th, saw the release of Top Star Wars Finest. Uh, this is another Chrome set uh, in a year that's been kind of very highlighted by Chrome. Uh, this is another high-end set, and uh, we were seeing the hobby boxes kind of start off at around $299. So although it's a full set, you have sketch cards, autos, and so forth, um, I would kind of classify this as another higher-end set. Uh, we have 100 base cards. Plus, we do have a lot of parallels and so forth. And we'll kind of be going over some of the more of this uh, as the weeks go on, um, as we kind of, maybe I'll get out there and I'll be able to sample some of the cards just as, you know, like with Sapphire. Sapphire was a very expensive release, uh, but I have been picking up some of the singles because um, whereas the, you know, th those boxes were going for still around a grand, the hobby boxes, um, I kind of decided to kind of do part of the puzzle because the Sapphire was um, basically a chromium version of the first two uh, 1977 releases, but they just, instead of going blue and red, they just made it all the blue Starfield, a very nice chrome uh, finish to it. Um, and if you look at the puzzle portion of it, and this was more of the art the art puzzle, uh, the halftones really popped. And so I thought, you know, what would be nice is in a kind of a nine by, I would do part of the puzzle, or maybe I'll eventually uh, pick up all the puzzle. Uh, but it was kind of nice to put back together um, just because, like I said, some of these things, when you're talking about some of these releases, it's, uh, it's very expensive to pick up some of this. And I was trying to find a nice, uh, playful way in. And I think with, with uh, Finest as well, and I think this is the third release of Finest. I want to say the original came out in 1966, uh, not long, um, after or before, I around the same time as Shadows of the Empire. Uh, so last year it, uh, it celebrated its, oh my goodness, its... 25th anniversary, because uh, we had talked to uh, Greg Hildebrandt uh, on the occasion of the Shadows of the Empire 25th, uh, so Finest also had celebrated it around the same time, and I believe 2018 uh, saw another release uh, or a return to the Finest. Um, we still have uh, a little more Chrome coming out this year, and if I look at the release calendar, and this is all subject to change, um, it looks as if there is a Beskar edition of the Mandalorian uh, that is still slated for later in August uh, and then we have a very high-end chrome black series um, as well as just the regular uh, Book of Boba Fett uh, season one uh, which comes out in November at, at this time I didn't see anything yet on Masterwork or Chrome Galaxy, although I do know that there is a Chrome Galaxy out there, most likely a Masterwork, but because of the uh, delays that Topps had had this year and last, um, I think the calendar in some aspects is starting to settle down, but I do know that's probably been very tough on Topps to produce some of these. Um, I know that in my own realm, uh, I am just about done designing the uh, Series 4 swag, swag packs. I think I'm just about one card left and I'll see whether that card comes from C2E2 or somewhere else and then I'll probably start printing those this fall uh, which will be handed out uh, starting hopefully uh, beginning of next year and uh, through through my uh, conventions 
and and on and so forth next year. So pretty excited. The set looks pretty good. It's another uh, nine-card series with a checklist, although I kind of just recently redesigned that checklist to make it pop a little more. And uh, hopefully we have some more card projects in 2023. But I'm, I'm excited to create another card uh, swag pack. And, uh, and then, of course, uh, go, if I go to uh, C2, uh, I'll be handing out a lot of those there. So I, I like to bring them with conventions, kind of get out the word a little bit, and uh, kind of spread spread the word, as it were, about trading cards. And it's always kind of fun to see people's reaction to them. And I get a lot of nice feedback from it. It's very nice. Um, it was nice to give away some of them at uh, at uh, ScarifCon as well. And uh, just once again, hats off to all the Red 5 folks, uh, Rogue Asuka, uh, and all those folks for putting on such a great uh, time there at the uh, Murray Brothers Caddyshack. Uh, had a ball, uh, very tired, very tired afterwards. Uh, they put a lot of work into it, and it's fun, and I hope that continues. Uh, they had a great 360 camera. They had a uh, tequila vendor. Um, it was really it was really fun. So at any rate, all righty. Um, very excited and uh, uh, very excited to talk to Sam and uh, find out more about what the uh, Star Wars uh, customizable card game is doing these days. Uh, very much alive and well. And uh, I think you're going to really enjoy tonight's episode. So let me just stop yammering on. Let's get to it. Hey, this is artist and author Cameron Johnson, and you are listening to the Rebel Base Card Podcast. Great pull, kid. We're in attack position now, sir. Hold here. We're not going to attack. I have my orders from the Emperor himself. He has something special planned for him. We only need to keep him from escaping. Well, if one thing's for sure, Sam, um, I love myself a good card sword as much as the next person. And the last two hours, I think, I went through and found, I had to dig out my CCG cards, which I had gotten, you know, almost, it's not 30 years ago, but it's coming up on there. And uh, it's been fun to go back over them. But I'd like to kind of know from uh, from you, who a much deeper player than I ever was, can you tell me a little bit about the game as much as you know how it got started and your start? You know, how did you come to discover this game? That's a lot to start with, but sure. Well, the Star Wars CCG um, game from Decipher uh, really got started in, I believe, 1995 was when they first had their first release set. Uh, they held the license up through 2001 and really for printing different sets as part of their customizable card game related to Star Wars. And they ended up going through the episode one. So episode one related cards were the last ones that they ended up printing under them. But then after they lost the license to the Star Wars game on a go forward basis, in 2001, what ended up getting set up was essentially the players committee. So it was a committee run by former players or by players. And there were different, say, hierarchy in there with advocates, people really to continue leading the game forward. And ever since that, say, 2001, and really uh, what the players committee ended up doing was not just organizing tournaments for this quote-unquote dead game, mm-hmm. but releasing new sets. And when we say new sets and cards, what they would do is they would be called virtual car- cards. They're downloaded for free. It's a way where essentially it would be the an existing card with updated text to 
that corresponding car that would at times introduce new game mechanics or continue to innovate on existing game mechanics. But one of the neat things currently with the game is as we, as I said, the last game that was truly printed in 2001 in terms of sets was around, say, episode one. So there was a Tatooine theme and a Theed Palace and a Coruscant. There continue to be, as new movies come out and even with the TV shows, new content from those um, from those movies under the, the Disney era. And in, in terms of, well, if you don't have the, the likeness to the images, how exactly does the committee do that? And whether it's relying on cosplayers, say Star Wars Celebration just happened, and oftentimes we can find some unique cosplayers there as we start rolling out material associated with the first order and rogue one. And now we're into very much content toward the Mandalorian and the child and cards such like, such as that. And so it's a way for the game to continue to live, even though Mm -hmm. the last printing was back in 2001. What's kind of interesting is that, you know, you mentioned 95 and to maybe give a little context of what's happening, and, and it's kind of funny, I was in doing this sort of forensic look back. Um, by this point, Magic the Gathering not only had come out, but the initial incredible wave of this game had swept across. This is probably one of the first large-scale, you know, massively popular collectible card games. And, you know, I had had a regular store you know, a comic and a gaming store, you know, before I left the States, you know, pretty much from the late um, 80s to early 90s. And so, you know, I was very much into Warhammer 40k. And, you know, of course, by that time, there's still, you know, D&D and all this. And so it must have come and it like, you know, it's interesting that a lot of parallels today, right? So a game becomes very popular, it becomes very hard to get this product. Um, stores were having to overpurchase wait times, and then a lo- when the initial wave kind of crashed, then stores, you know, it, who didn't really play it smart, you know, some stores went under. And so I remember going back to a gaming convention in Ohio when I when I you know, on my first trip back to the states, and sure. you just heard this these tales of woe from these, you know, these store owners that had to go through this where, you know, everything you ever hoped for came through and then crashed. Now, it's also interesting at this time you had, you know, the great junk wax era of, you know, sports cards and Marvel cards where you had that late 80s to mid 90s. And so it doesn't, you know, it doesn't seem like much of a stretch that, uh, you know, manufacturers such as Decipher sees what's happening in magic and they go, we need to get this. And it's also interesting. Let's pile another layer on top of that. This is considered, you know, the, you know, what the era that, you know, the th- first Thrawn books are coming back. There are no movies. It's right. been past 10 years, you know, 10, you know, 12, 13 years past Return of the Jedi. And so this is sort of a lost era. Um or in some cases, this is an era a lot of people grow up in. So, you know, you're seeing some of these Dark Horse comics and whatnot. So it's interesting that this game comes in and it it looks like it becomes very popular as he's throwing a Thrawn card up. Very nice. Um, it becomes very popular, but it also introduces a level of canon that I don't think we had also seen because a lot of these minor characters and objects and ships and so forth 
are mentioned, and in some cases, things that I don't even remember being in the movie. Now, for one, I have a Mon Calamari Star Cruiser right here. Uh, this was, yeah. according to the back of a box, was a rare card. But uh, I also like the fact that the uh, a T sixteen, uh, you know, right. was in there, and then you had. You know, so you have some of these, and I would say probably one of my most beloved cards, um, for no reason, no good reason, was the the Jack Porkins card, which probably because of the Galaxy sets was not the first. I often thought it was, but I used it for an image for a website I had for the Husky Rebel home base for a long time, and so this this Jack Porkins means a lot to me. Um, but it was fun because going back, you know, now I'm thinking, you know, I was 13 when Return of the Jedi came out. And so in the mid-90s, I'm in my mid-20s. And, you know, I'm kind of rediscovering Star Wars in a way. And unfortunately, I had to take all this back with me uh, overseas. And I think I played a few games of Solitaire. But that's about where it went, at least at that sure. point. But I don't know, where did you come into this game? And what did it kind of introduce to you? For me, it was, I got into it while I was in high school, a teacher who was, who, who had played the game from the, the start, had still been part of the, the volunteer, the players committee work. And so I played fairly competitively from say 2003 to 2006. I, I had some moderate success qualified for worlds when you would, a couple of times when you would have to hit top two at a at a major at a regional or um or, or win one of the state's tournaments in terms of qualifying and then really after that college adult <laughs> life kind of takes over so i was out of the game for the, for a full 13 years from 2006 to 2019 and really what got me back into it was one the main piece was ray park was coming into town um kind of doing his convention circuit in 2018. And I'm based out of the Minneapolis metro area. And so he was doing a local con. So I was like, yeah, be kind of neat to, to see Ray Park, get him to autograph a card. I'm a huge fan of the, of his, there's the Tatooine set. There's an alternate image card. That's probably my favorite image. And so I wanted to get him to, to sign that. Little did I know Ray Park's penmanship isn't necessarily the, <laughs> something to write home about. I didn't realize that until after the fact. Um, but ended up seeing seeing him at the convention, got him to sign, oh this, um, sign this card on this alternate image of him. And then I more so was just rifling through the, the long boxes of cards and gave me a little bit of an itch, got back into it. And really the neat thing that one helped me get back into the game. It, yes, we still play in person. There are tur tournaments going on, but there's an online platform called GEMP, which is free to play. You build your decks on there. Uh, there are always tables up. You can grab tables. We also have different tournament circuits uh, going on associated with it. And that platform really helped me to one connect with players who i played with back in the the mid 2000s but then more importantly even as we we being co the collective community ran into covid and we weren't able to play in person helped keep the game very much alive but has also accelerated things from a play testing when we're releasing new i, I mentioned these virtual sets almost mm -hmm. think of them in the way that 
the cloud city set used to would come out well we would come out with now virtual sets where it may be they're just labeled virtual set 16 and it may have 50 cards in it and as part of it that's a way for new players to get involved and even for certain players if they're like i'm not necessarily sure if i want to jump into all these new virtual cards there will be formats where you play premiere through death star 2 and that's the format those (laughs) are the games so it's really that throwback to how things may have been in 1999 for example right um, before we get too much farther, can we can you give us an overview of how the game is played? In terms of uh, the the format of the game, each player has a side. So there's light side, and the light side is facing off against dark side. Right. The way that a tournament format would be would go is I would come to the tournament with two decks: a light side deck and a dark side deck. And essentially every game I would be alternating between, let's say there were three rounds in the tournament, each round you would play each side. So it'd end up being mm-hmm. three rounds, two, um, you play each side, so you'd end up playing a total of six games. And each deck is fully customizable. You choose which cards to put in it depending on, say, the meta components of what what decks are popular and say the pros and cons of um, going against certain strategies. 60 cards uh, to the overall piece. And essentially the overall strategy is you're setting up in the, and with those 60 cards, there's battling involved, there's controlling location and your goal is to deplete if i'm the light side my goal is to deplete the dark side's life force in a 60 minute uh time horizon in order to win there are a lot of other unique mechanics kind of much deeper dive than that if if anyone's interested in learning uh there is the star wars ccg.org as just a landing page for our players committee which is a, a non-profit but definitely something where we're welcoming new players into the game or returning players as well. Yeah, it's interesting, and I, I really dig that that component of it, just because you know you're trying to foster a community in a you know and and going through this right. So Fantasy Flight Games was at least the the last that had licenses, and they had a living card game, which basically meant that you know a player once you bought it you had access to all the cards right as opposed to this and destiny which was a customizable one which where you would you could start off with a starter a starter pack or set and then you could with boosters add on and like you said you're basically building from what it sounds like about a 60 card deck correct um and in this case in the game you had things like um you would have characters and characters could have you know weapons uh, you have devices, um, ships in there ships that they're in flying there. around. Exactly, there are ship weapons. There's automated weapons, and so there's a there's a combat component to it. And much like uh, there is the location, so you'd have a stack of locations. Um, you would also have, and when I was going through some of the more plentiful of these cards, I had were things like interrupts, and there's uh, two different kinds. There was a lost and a used interrupt, interrupt, which most likely would have been something to either 
help your cause or you know foil your opponent's cause of trying to make something happen. Correct. Um, and then what's interesting is, right, the only thing you can see on the back, it's very much like what you'd expect from a, a card game. You'd have light side and dark side. Um, when I noticed that some of the cards I was going through... Uh, this must have been part of the second anthology set, you know, and what's nice is they kind of like um, just with books, it'll tell you what sets came out in what order. Um, but I have these, all these, uh, it looks like I had a few packs of these black bordered cards, uh, which is probably like would describe maybe what set they belong to, or they uh, just um, differentiating themselves from uh, the premier sets and just kind of going through, like you said, um, there was things like, you know, like Hoth and Dagobah and, you know, Cloud City and then each film and then you so forth would have, as I put that over there, would have sort of their own versions and it would come out with variations on, they'd have additional characters, additional locations, additional things that go wrong. Very much like you would expect um, if you go and pick up uh, a Magic or, or Yu-Gi-Oh! And, and as something I've joked about, uh, you could start that game anytime because unlike the sports cards and non-sports cards that COVID kind of took off the shelf thanks to a bunch of, you know, mm. old, old guys who decided they wanted to, you know, wanted to scout people, uh, you could totally get in one of these games and you'd have no problem getting the product. Uh, as cool as it was, it was always on the shelf. Um, so I can imagine, you know, coming into, you know, a a shop or a Target or Walmart in the 90s and early aughts where you'd see this on the shelf and you know, this is kind of fun because even if you weren't playing, it was kind of cool to go through because you may pull a character that you, you know, you didn't have, or it's a favorite one, or you could find some obscure, you know, factoid. And we were talking before um, about the fact that in this Owen Lars card from, I think from probably one of the premier decks, uh, it says he's brother of Obi-Wan Kenobi in his description, which I think is amazing. And I think you had mentioned some other um, that there were some other interesting tidbits. I don't know. I mean, like I said, you know, thousands of cards I can imagine, but are any of them come to mind as far as interesting things to kind of give it its kind of place in time as sort of a unique bit of, I guess, canon of the day, as it were? Uh, in addition to the canon piece where, I, for, for me personally, understanding and learning the game, and it was more just the connection to, say star wars in, in person because with these cards there were so many a uh, given printing and you'd say you'd have these obscure characters well whether it be decipher or if they were looking at some of the 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 prior um gaming guides that had come out previously well we needed names for all these characters and <laughs> and even if it wasn't an official canon name now it was neat to see how those characters would you'd see them in the movie and be like, oh, that's that specific character from um, from the movie that you would have completely glossed over. A random Ugnaught, like, it just <laughs> happens. But for the purpose of the game, that Ugnaught now had a name. And uh, one of the interesting ones, personally, I have a, an affection for some of the Cloud City cards, primarily because there's an objective called Quiet Mining Colony. That's one of my favorite objectives to play. And as part of that, Cloud City in particular, when that set came out, they 
I was mentioning this before we started, that they were a bit more comical within some of the lore descriptions. So, it, Greg, as you were alluding to, each card has its game mechanic, but then there's a little snippet on the top that would describe describe the character, or sometimes there are even components, whether they say, oh, it's a leader or a smuggler or a spy. And, and some of those aspects did have mechanics, but one of them that I'll show you on the screen is a card called Dodge from Cloud City. <laughs> so the picture of Dodge, it's Darth Vader and Luke, and it's from Cloud City, or when they're on Cloud City and they're having the duel, and Luke is falling down the stairs. Now, the lore on this one says, normally parents try to prevent their children from falling down the stairs. <laughs> Just a... <laughs> something you wouldn't necessarily get by glancing at the card, but uh, reading through the lore is a, is a way to, one, just understand some of the, the characters or at least the a non-canon canon reference but then two just has some comical pieces in there yeah, more of a dive than a dodge really but you know he dodged getting killed at that point so i'll give them that but yeah i mean i can imagine in that time you know although they are working with lucasfilm i'm sure a lot of this has to be approved there still is an enormous amount of content that's being you know that has to be written out uh, and I don't think that gets enough play as far as, you know, when we think about, like, let's just say current sets where s someone has to write all that stuff on the back, you know, there are an enormous number of cards and an undertaking like this, especially when you're talking about a non-living set where they're, you know, like this is a, you know, potentially infinite number of cards. That's a lot right. of work for a company to do. Um, and so it's, like I said, in some cases it's, a time capsule some cases it's a you know if you really you know i think a lot of people sometimes can take a look at a card and they're what they're needing from it is the stats i need i need this to do the thing and if i have this particular one i can do the thing better than you can do the thing but in some cases if you take some time and kind of look back on it it's just as much fun as like you know diving into a book because there's just a lot of little nuances in here and what I found also interesting is like when I was organizing these dark side decks that are these cards, the dark side so much easier to sort because their colors are solid uh, as opposed mm. to the sort of the speckled blues and greens where it's a little more subtle on the light side ones. It's easy to see blue cards, green cards, red cards. And then as I was going through the second time going, okay, I got this down. Um, and, and, you know, going throughout, I, I would say in somewhere, I want to make sure this gets said in there. Uh, it has to be one of my, where is it at? So in here, we also have effects, but the average person may not know that there's something called Utini effects, which I thought yes. were pretty dope. Uh, I don't have a lot of them, so it must have been something that was better than just a regular old effect. But I can imagine it pulling an Utini uh, effect in there, and I'm like, that that would give me no end of joy to play that particular card. I definitely agree with that. It, it, it's interesting. One of the points that you had mentioned was the uh, some of the collecting and components associated with that we saw over COVID with, whether it be sports cards or other other collectibles in general. And we definitely within the game, I, I would classify myself as much more focus more on the playing. I do have some some autograph cards, but they're 
definitely aspects of the community. Some players play the game and they own zero cards. They just they have friends and they'll borrow borrow cards for tournaments. Then there's another aspect of the community who is very involved and they don't play the game. They're just focused purely on collecting. They may even be um, be grading a, a lot of their cards and then kind of an, an other sections that are very much focused on say the autographed cards, whether it be going to conventions or through the mail collecting. And I, I like to say I have a little bit of each. I, I do enjoy some of the the Japanese related cards, the ones that were printed in Japan that ended up being the Premiere and New Hope and Hoth sets were all released with Japanese counterparts. A few autographed ones I mentioned, uh, my, my Ray Park, but I also have a, let's see if, oh, well, this. Ooh, the character. A John Hollis, um, your, Jer- your Jeremy Bullock in there, uh, among others. Billy D. Williams is one of my favorites just because I love his penmanship. Uh, but kind of a, a unique aspect around the game where, it's like, yeah, this game was printed from 1995 through 2001, but and still to this day, numerous people enjoy it, but they all can enjoy it in their own unique way. I'm curious as to why was it just that Decipher wasn't doing well financially, or it, you know, it's odd that they. You would go through episode one, and you know there was a big push. That, I'm I'm curious. Do you know if why why what happened to the to the game that would put it in the in the state that it did that the fans would take over? There are others who are much more knowledgeable on this, but essentially when that license piece came up, Wizards was able to uh, obtain the license for episode two and beyond under their. Uh, under their Star Wars TCG game. There's some other aspects around the financial situation of Decipher. And we actually have a member of our community who's working on a documentary uh, around it. And and you can find it on, uh, I believe it's Kickstarter. I can verify that where he's made a lot of progress, but essentially kind of pulling together a decent amount of the, the backstory with interviews on the, people from the players committee, some decipher and employees, as well as say Shannon McRandall, who is the actress who portrayed Mara Jade on the card. Nice. And the other thing, the, the curious thing as well is that, you know, what's interesting is that as, um, as it ends in this online community or the community kind of picks it up, it's also at an interesting time. Whereas, you know, there are, you know, at this point, there are probably, you know, forums. And so there's no social networking at all. So really, it's almost as if the the people who end up making up the players committee and all this really kind of have to will some of this community to exist. Um, Probably because they had been enjoying playing this game for a long time. And much like with me and uh, the the destiny, you know, you end up with all these and you go, well, what happens right. now? And I can imagine it was very disparaging, disparaging for, you know, at this point they've been playing for a while. There's probably organized tournaments and things like that. And now it just sort of goes up and you go, now what? And, uh, whereas, you know, someone can be playing essentially the same game of Pokemon for the last, you know, umpany up years. And you go to a local store and you can play that. And I'm assuming at some point you can still play, 
you can still play Destiny somewhere. I guess it's where whatever the flavor of that particular local, you know, community to that store is. But something like this, you're almost having to, and especially getting up JPEGs and so forth like that. We're not talking about, you know, really fast internet. You're still sort of in early, you're past kind of dial-up dial up speeds, maybe early ISDN speeds, but you're certainly not sure. at the high speeds that we're able to get. So, you know, this is a lot of work putting in until maybe it kind of, th- those seeds start to grow. Right, and that's that's an interesting piece and even to the commitment of the players that and one of the things that we always is interesting to see about the the current players who are who are around the game and facilitating it is it, it, it's a hobby like anything there's going to be ebbs and flows of certain interests but where we'll see even listening to your podcast, there are certain people who would be like, oh, I stepped away from the hobby for X number of years, but then I came back into it accordingly. And um, I'm looking at, say, whether it be sports cards or or the old tops ones and wanting to recollect again. We kind of see a similar thing where the players that are involved are highly engaged in terms of helping the community. At, at times, life gets in the way or you may just want to take a take a break accordingly, which is, which is just fine, but we're always welcoming when you're willing to get back in because really we realize that we're a small base of the community, but whether it's on say our, um, our forums or Slack channels, or even say some of the Facebook groups, it's a small community, but it's a say vibrant, highly vibrant one as well. And nothing, nothing uh, brought that more home than recently at, at Celebration Anaheim, where, you know, there was such a broad spectrum of groups, anything from, you know, from gaming to cosplay to, you know, to podcasters to, you know, all these different groups, you know, the people who collect figures, people who collect, you know, high-end figures, people who are doing, you know, dioramas, artist alley, uh, the art prints, right? Right. Uh, the the tattoo pavilion there. And so, you know, what's interesting is that it, it, I don't think it necessarily matters so much the size of the group as it is the passion and organizational skills of said group. And that's what's funny because I think going there, even if you weren't necessarily attached to anything, but you could see all these different aspects to it. And everyone just pleases punch uh, that it's happening and gives that kind of a form because... Um, I think, you know, even though someone might not necessarily be up for a tournament, I think, you know, your local gaming store is so important because I think it, it, it's kind of a beacon and it's kind of a way to bring people in. And even if they're not connected, you know, that's kind of like, to me, it's amongst the oldest of the social networks was your local store because sure. you went in there and you would meet somebody and they would, you know, you'd see the calendar of events, you'd show up. And then for me, what kind of pulled me back in and I, I, I moved from, you know, role playing to to miniatures was that you'd get your you get your your butt handed to you on Sunday. You'd spend the entire week buying something. You'd buy something, you'd paint it or you get it, you pull it out, you assemble it, you get it ready to go next Sunday. Uh, the exact same thing happens. No matter what you did, uh, you still got your, your 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 ass handed to you. And then you just repeat the steps, you know, A, B and C. But I think in in the times and then in the meantime, you know, that you'd lose like during the month. And then you'd see like a couple times a year, there'd be a bigger event where you could, 
you meet. And so it was kind of fun to kind of that that's how it it works and it still works. And it's fun to see those tournaments because now people are probably not just coming in, you know, with a game like this, it may be hard to rely on a local end unless you've really had that time to work. Right. But you probably have people that are coming in from out of state now or far away because this is where my community is. It's their celebration, as it were. Yes, and that's probably one of the neatest things. So when I was originally playing in the mid-2000s, it was very much a, what were the tournaments in Minneapolis? I was traveling a bit to, say, North Dakota and Iowa for for tournaments, but really that was the kind of geographic reach that I, kind of just being in high school that I was able to, to have. Now really the way that the in terms of the player base yes there's a large base in the united states but there's also a large european base and over the course of the year we may have four to five major tournaments and if you're a tennis fan the way that i liken it to is there are these you have your world championships then there are like four to five major tournaments that will be sprinkled throughout the calendar year uh Oftentimes there's one in New Jersey, Seattle are two of the mainstays in terms of tournament locations. Um, Germany has the European championships in Bakum each year, as well as a couple of the other tournaments that will rotate over in different locations. In my um, backyard in Minneapolis, we have the U.S. nationals that are coming up, but back in April in Seattle, it was called the the Endor Grand Prix. Ends up bringing in, say, 30 to 50 players who will fly in and be in person, but it was that community of the players where you could have a given player, whether they're from, say, Atlanta or New Jersey or Seattle, and we just realized, oh, this is just kind of part of our travel and our fun and our hobby that we're going to get together and it's not necessarily as much yes do we want to play well and perform well and win that's definitely part of it but really the bigger thing is the community and enjoying one another's presence because like you said it's it's almost a mini celebration that we get to have say a few times over the course of the year and then it's even uh and then when we're talking about expanding the community when some of our european counterparts who we may have played online before, but we have had fewer in-person interactions or we may have just interacted over in terms of, say, uh, on Slack or on our forums and know each person's handle, but to actually be able to sit down and play them across the table or, or have a meal together, that's really where a lot, a lot of the community and enjoyment comes in. And also going back to celebration, or some of these other cons where, you know, after two or three years, especially after COVID, you know, we were, some of us were getting together, A, for the first time, but B, you know, a lot of times, and I, I, I see this like, I, you know, in my, whether I'm doing a, whether I'm doing my Bad Batch podcast or I'm doing, I'm talking to some people and I may be talking to them more than once, you know, you have these interactions that are, you know, centered around a recording or around a game. And what you don't have are those 
conversations where we're, we were waiting in line and you're filling in conversations. You're learning more about that person. Right. And those are the things that you really can't put any kind of va- um, value on. They're priceless because you're just like, wow, for the first time or in, in, in maybe, you know, this time we've met, but this extra time that I'm getting that, you know, we get to, you know, break some bread. We kind of get to sit down and it's, it, you learn more about your opponent as well. And I think you find out about not just, you can get an idea probably by the types of cards they use, kind of the way they, you know, like whether it's like a more of a control deck or more, it's more of an attack deck or, or this, but you're also finding a little more about what characters they're using, what characters they like, uh, you know, how do the films, the different films and whatnot kind of, you know, flavor their decks and so forth. And, and sure. it's just, it, so there's, it adds, it must add so much more nuance to when you play them again, because then not only maybe you get a little bit of an insight on like, okay, uh, here's where I think this is going to go. But then I think it becomes more enjoyable because that way it, it gets, you know, whereas a game that, you know, people are basically, you guys are willing this game to continue uh, but in keeping it vibrant, but it just makes it fun. And I think it just adds these extra layers to it. Right. It, and one of the neat, with this game, we realize it's highly complex. There's a, a lot to remember associated with it. Uh, and we'll joke at times that when we're playing online, there are these subtle online prompts in the sense of, in terms you're mentioning a, certain interrupt and it may you may be able to play a given card in response to somebody else and you may be sitting it with it in your hand but playing in person when it's sitting in your hand it's not prompting you to are you sure you want to play this card or like <laughs> you have the option to play this card and so we always state it's uh oh, there's that memory jog of oh yeah it didn't light up in my hand even though I, it had been sitting there for the past four turns one of the things, so I, I was able to attend celebration in 2019 in Chicago. What wasn't able to make it to Anaheim was re- really intending on it, but some of my work, travel, and other commitments came up. A, a favorite aspect of mine, and Greg, if you have some of those packs in front of you, why don't you kind of cr- crack open one of them? Is I was really I couldn't wait. I, I'm like, oh, okay. I can't wait. Uh, or just the the people that we meet on the online community, I know Greg Cass is a huge Kenobi fan. Um, there are some other podcasters who, who I've gotten friendly with who are, um, one in particular is a big Qui-Gon fan. And, and since this game was printed through 2001 and, and those episode one cards, what I'll end up doing from time to time, and he also loves creatures, is just put together a pack of Oh, here's some creature cards with like a Wampa and a Sarlacc and a few few of the different cards with Qui Gon on them, and send them over. It's just that nostalgia kick of oh, this is a character I really enjoy. But then it's also oh yeah, I remember when I had some of these back in <laughs> 1998, and I, I always love kind of really bringing back that nostalgia to um to individuals, especially when I know a little bit more insightful as to like oh, they love cantina characters or kenobi's their favorite character and be able to lean into that um i'm also looking and the other thing i think to take into consideration is is when you're playing a card game like this the cards themselves you usually you know if you've played more than a few times um a card like this will go into a sleeve 
So as far as like a a weight or um, a thickness of the card, I think that kind of takes it out out of the equation. So even if someone is printing this up, however they're doing it, and I was just kind of marveling over, I'm like, man, these are really they're really well done, uh, you know, fronts and backs and so forth, and in the pictures that you couldn't probably really tell. You could probably play with a mixture of cards, whether they were uh, ones that were fan-made or ones that were sort of, you know, part of if someone likes playing that, and it really wouldn't make a difference. You know, it's just like all right, it's, right. it comes down to stats, and uh, oh, my goodness, I'm looking at uh, I'm looking at Hera and Sabine. Sorry, I'm totally distracted. What were you saying again? Hmm. Um, oh, here's a chopper. Oh, my gosh. Aaron, Aaron Harris of the Reactions podcast. Um, I, I Man... I got a Rebels crew here. Ezra Bridger, Sabine, Chopper, Kanan Yaris. Now I'm going to cry. Um, oh, and I also noticed... Oh, I see what you're doing here. Okay. I see how, how you pack these. That's interesting because... Yeah, that makes sense. So you're actually using... In this case, you've got them, you've got them in the penny sleeves. So right. you've actually got... Now, depending upon their word, light side or dark side, um, you're using the back of a card... One's that gives it kind of, uh, it does give it a, a little bit of a weight to it, but that way, yeah, someone could print that out, use, you know, cut it down to size, or it's probably already sized up. You put it in a penny sleeve and then you got it. it you're, you're ready right. to rock and roll. So the way that our virtual cards work is each one is, uh, they're free online and. I'm not sure uh, I understand. Sorry, Siri, Siri didn't understand. Yes. They're free online uh, to print off they're already sized accordingly to the cards and as you're seeing there the, the images of them of some of those are just fantastic amazing uh, and what i did for you greg is i grouped them a bit based on general themes um you'll have to see wherever you get the the rogue one or if you haven't cracked into that one there's a big chunk of rogue one related themes for you that the committee made a, a deck around called um, they have no idea we're coming is, is the objective. <laughs> and so it's, it really plays into things. But with each individual virtual card, there's an actual underlying card that it will go with. So for instance, it may be um, the underlying card may be sacrifice. And so you'll match up the actual papers slip with that real card from the decipher printing and um, just cut it out, put it over there. For, for most of the players now, we end up double sleeving cards. So we'll have, say, a KMC perfect um, perfect fit that will go that we'll put the card in and then we'll sleeve it into a secondary sleeve. Um, that has an opaque background for right. gameplay purposes. Oh my goodness. This is a full rebel set. Boy, someone really pegged me. Well, there's the ghost, the phantom, uh, grumpy Luke. Uh, that, that's not what the card says, but that's what I say. Um, I've got a Mazkana. I got Din Djarin. Oh my goodness. Uh, so Katana, this is in the same, this is in the same stash. And then there one that looks like, uh, uh, Donald Glover's Lando. This is a used or lost interrupt. Wow. Um, just from a standpoint of having that, because it's interesting that, so let's see, with Destiny, you know, they, they, I think they went about five years and then they kind of either just decided they wanted to go somewhere else. The money's in the miniatures. Um, 
but they were just starting to get, you know, some of the Rebels characters in there. And, you know, I remember getting some of those those cards and which had some amazing artwork. But yeah, some of these really have well done. Um, I'm gonna I'm gonna grab another pack here because I think I see. Oh yeah, here's the Rogue One. They have no idea we're coming. Uh, which is hold on, let me get this out. And speaking of which, for for any listeners, oh. if we're always looking for cosplayers uh, in terms of cosplayers or art design card, we really haven't gotten into much of leveraging, say sketch card related art in there more leaning on cosplayers but that's not to say that having a neat uh say like sketch artist uh type of card in there wouldn't be doable but if you're a cosplayer and would be willing to release your your image and likeness for us to leverage on one of these cards we're more than um we're always looking for that to a you came to the right podcast when you're talking about sketch cards but b i like that because you know, whereas most of this is not sold, these are free. So, but you still, you know, like anything else, myself included, you, you make cards. We're always sort of flying under the radar. They have no idea we're coming. Uh, but once they do have an idea we're coming, then it's sort of like, hey, look, we're just doing this and, and we just want to keep playing the game. But I love the aspect of adding cosplayers in because, you know, I always say when I get a 501st member's card or a Rebel Legion card or whatnot, I always have them sign it because the artists need to sign their work, whether you whether you are pen and ink or whether you are a resin, you know, you got resin and a sure. 3D printer. Um, and I think that adds an aspect, a fun aspect to it because it's a way for, it's just a way to uh, add a little flavor to the game. But also when you're looking at a card that has a cosplayer on it, it just, there's a image you would have may not have gotten um, but it gets the job done. Oh, here's a Chirrut and Way card. Wow. Here's another Chirrut. Oh, that, that's a great Chirrut. I love that. Oh, both these are really great. I, um, and you'll note on one of them, there's a small AI somewhere on the card to reflect the fact that it's an alternate image. Yes, I do. Okay, so that's what that AI stands for. There's, I see things like E1, um, and I see the more the numbers, right? Um, because somewhere someone's making a checklist to the right. <laughs> Please tell right. me there's a checklist, Sam. Uh, yes. Okay, good. Yes. Uh, I was having... I My heart stopped for a second when I... Oh, there's a Saw Guerrero. Ooh. K2SO. Blue 11. I like that. Oh, these ones with the ships against the, the sky. Uh, ooh, okay. Oh, these are really good. These are really, really good. Scarif. There's Scarif. Um, oh, and then here we have the Scarif Beach. So Rogazgo over at the Scarif Scuttlebutt podcast. I, I gotta, I gotta pull that one for him. Uh, so, and a Scarif landing pad. Um, that those, that's really, really neat. Um, let's see. Now that was the uh, no, it's still okay. These are still uh, these are still light side. Now let me open this dark side deck, or at least partial. I, I'm, I'm curious. These were. I'll have to count them. I'm assuming they're. Close to 60. So let's look at this. <laughs> On the verge of greatness. That's that's great. Shield Gate. Oh, Death Trooper. Director Krennic. That's a nice Krennic. Uh, command Center location. Scarif Landing Bay. Here's a really nice Scarif Beach one. I really like the uh, I like the the light in the background. Citadel Tower. We have Scarif the Planet. 
you know what I've come for. Oh, there's a Kylo Ren. There's, there's a Kylo what, Ren. Oh, did I get you one of those Kylos? Those are really nice ones. Yeah, so we have... Well, one of them is a used or lost interrupt. Okay. And then there's the... It looks like the character oh, yeah, card. The white. Right. Uh, let's see. Starkiller base. That's pretty dope. Uh, Exegol Sith Throne. Ooh, Captain Phasma. Nice. Agent Callus. There we go. That's pretty... Oh, Grand Inquisitor. Uh, oh, man. I'm not paying yeah, you. Who, who would have known how timely that would be? Woo! Boy, yeah. Seventh sister. Fifth brother. Nice. Maul. Lady Proxima. Nice deep cut. I like that. Cad Bane. There's another one. And General Grievous. And then there was this... These ones off on the side, and there was some tape here. I'm trying to figure out how do I do this without destroying this. Because there's a couple that looks like these are really, really nice ones. Uh, let's see. How would I do this? This Probably I should have had a plan, better plan for this. Oh, here we go. Maybe? So what is... Okay, so you have this. There's this foil pack. Is there, a, is there, see where the green is there? Is that, is there something inside that or is that just kind of there? Um, that green is a specialized pack that uh, one of the, the advocates from the players committee sent you. So I had put together those, the packs with those different virtual cards, simply because I knew that you, you love Rogue One and um, so, some of the other themes there. But then he, one of my colleagues also sent you that pack which you don't necessarily need to open now okay i was gonna say yeah because it's gonna a little bit of surgery involved here but um on one side i see a director orson krennic and it looks like almost a computerized image um and i swear on the back it almost feels like it's a foil type paper it's a base malbus with a cannon and it does almost have like a refractor type feel to it so so Uh, we do have some of those where they'll print them well, and this was a common piece where in even in the decipher era, they would print cards that would be foiled. So it would okay. have, um, I wonder if I can find one quickly. Actually, I can here. Here's a Jar Jar Binks character. And so this would have been printed by decipher. And it has like a oh, foil to it. Nice. But currently what we've been able to do with some of the printing is do that same foil printing on for some of these virtual cards and they'll be handed out as participation prizes so here's a ray you can kind of see how it has that same foil right foil look to it Um, nice like you said a refractor look for going back in the sports cards days. Yeah, if I'm using what, uh, the lingo the hip kitty's doing in the collecting yes. world, I'm going to say refractors are super fractor. Uh, uh, oh, those are nice. Uh, I like that, Rebels. All right. But uh, there's something nice just about holding a physical card as much as... I know Tops has its uh, Star Wars card trader app, and uh, those are great, but something tangible about the cards and flipping through there's nothing like say organizing organizing or sorting cards while listening to a podcast <laughs> yes there like i said there's nothing more relaxing than the card sort um but you know it's interesting that you know like i think that um was it magic 
Well, say let's say a game like uh, Hearthstone or Magic, where I think there is a component you can you can play. Well, Hearthstone completely, um, but Magic, where you can kind of play online, and there is and just like in playing, what you're what you're saying is is that the ability to play because I think that first and foremost you need to have the me- the, the the time, the mechanism, and the and you know to be able to play, and then. To I, I can imagine it's fun because I can imagine if someone is coming from a distance, you know, you guys are having a tournament or so forth, and someone maybe hasn't, maybe only has seen that particular card. They've downloaded it, they may have printed it, they sized it out, but now they're seeing opponents are seeing other people using cards that are known to have existed, and you can download like, oh man, I haven't seen that one, and they probably just pick it up and just kind of stare at it for a little while. Going, oh man, you're using that one, and right. I didn't get a chance to print out the one, and that looks really dope. I'm gonna have to go home and do the same. Um, and I think that's what really helps probably keep this keep this so keeps it so fresh. Definitely, we we always term it as say doing arts and crafts ahead of the tournament <laughs> because so at, at times we get so accustomed to playing online when you can easily make edits to the deck, to your 60 card deck on a given side. And when we're, if I'm preparing to go to a tournament, I may have say two or three decks for both late side and dark side that I could Mm -hmm. contemplate playing over over the course of the weekend. But it's that, oh, I wanna swap in another card. And it's simply not saying online, that's super easy. I just click and I just, select the add card now it's oh man i need to go find my new hope a new hope box and hope i have this version of this uncommon readily available which oftentimes i do but sometimes you don't and so we'll be talking with teammates saying hey can you throw another one of these cards in your in your long box before you jump on the plane i i guarantee you it's the only it's probably the only event that someone really wants to make sure the hotel business center printer has some paper in it and ready to go. It's like, Hey, I got to shoot. I'll be right back. And then they go, zing, 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 yeah. and they print it out and cut it up. And uh, the person at the desk is like going, what are you doing? And then it comes back and it's just kind of like, here's this black and white laser printed, you right. know, or, or, you know, they were running low on inkjet. And so it's like at half of it. And it's like, hey, as long as you can see the numbers on this card, man, I'm totally going to be playing it. Um, kind of reminds me back of the days where in miniatures, where, you know, if, Sometimes places had rules where if you're playing this particular army, if you're playing this particular game or at this location, they have to have at least three colors of paint on it or they had to have their bases painted. Um, is there? I don't think there's probably anything similar. It's like, at least has to be, I could read the card. Right. <laughs> I think we're all guilty of that at, at some point where... Be like, oh, I don't have time to get over to the local um, FedEx printing shop, and so doing it on my own little black and white printer, and so it doesn't it doesn't have the nice quality as all the other ones on there. You're like trying to negotiate with the FedEx Kinko's guy to like how many how many how many pages is how can I how many can I fit on one deck or how how many cards can I put on one page yeah. uh, and print them out. Oh my gosh, an army ready to be printed. Um, but I think that also, I think that I can imagine the people who are doing this on a long-term basis, I, I think how they play, you, you alluded before, it's like, look, I would like to be competitive. I There's things I want to win, but I think it's more than just, I beat you. You know, there's there's more to this. And I think the amount of effort, you know, the game itself 
probably just has to be the icing on the cake. For the whole thing to have happened, we got here, we did the thing. The actual, you know, the actual outcome probably is uh, outside of, hey, if there's some nice swag, it was just, this was, this was, the whole thing was the journey to get here with this cards and doing this and actually using these, these cards in a game. Correct. And it's both of the, the love of the, the intellectual property and kind of what George Lucas created as well as just the enjoyment of looking at these cards. I still look at them. It's like, I love this. <laughs> I love this Tatooine Darth Maul alternate image. It's one of my oh. favorites. It's, it's, it, in addition, you have some neat Japanese cards. It's just, fun to have and play with those but almost to the extent of i know i'm leaning into to celebration because it just happened but you could go and i'm sure there are individuals that won the lottery for all the panels and then there's somebody equivalent who didn't win it on any of the lotteries well we're all able to enjoy the same event and a lot more of it is that being together in the same place enjoying our company enjoying say a game and an ip that we love as much as it is looking back and saying oh well i got into say these key i won four different lottery components and had an exclusive and an exclusive from from hasbro and greg didn't get any of those it's not as much <laughs> of that competition as much as it's simply being in the same place together and enjoying our company one last thing I wanted to kind of touch on was, you know, in the Disney Plus era where we have, you know, numerous properties and shows coming out, how does the players committee keep up and decide, you know, how many they can even attempt to put out or is it just a free for all going, you know, how do they choose what's going coming out now? Whereas before it was like, okay, we're going to take it from a movie. And there was a movie one every two or three years, you know, and, and depending on what bursts now there's like, I've got, we've got, you know, with Mandalorian and book of Boba Fett and Kenobi and all this, uh, it's just got to make their head spin as far as like trying to keep up with all this content. Yeah. I, I'd say I'd kind of lean on our design advocates who are, heavily involved in that and definitely to to what you just said leading up to this point everything was staggered for lack of a better term like we were getting some new content but there was say solo and then the bad batch and these other pieces and as more of the car design comes out it's leaning into those additional properties i i do think there were with Say we have Book of Boba Fett that just came out, and even as we look forward between Kenobi and or Book Boba Fett or um, Bad Batch Part Two, and then Mandalorian Season Three, it's almost going to be too much in terms of the potential area to pull from. But that's not necessarily a bad thing. I think the key focus on the gameplay is more around. Let's create cards that will get play that have unique game dynamics and then pull from the IP as necessary to help fit those needs around there because there's still unmined aspects around whether it be, say, solo or aspects of, I'm sure that there will be a new look to certain Rebels components. And even when we have the Ahsoka show coming out, that's almost, say, Rebels 2.0 in terms of things that we'll be able to continue leaning into. And for all we know, and one of the unique aspects of the IP, 
when we see certain components of it or and i look at what's going on with some of the shows there's a richness to prior ip that may not have been um as tapped into as it could have been and we definitely saw that in one of the unique objectives right now is one that's built on the shadow collective so it's leaning into black sun and crimson dawn and say some of the aspects around the pike syndicate is Mm -hmm. not as tapped into as it potentially could be for future needs but because this is a living game we have new sets come out but really it's focusing more around here let's get gameplay mechanics but then tap into the ip as needed to help really um bring things to keep them as relevant as possible and I think it's also interesting. So let's say, you know, uh, during celebration, you know, they were talking about, you know, even more high Republic content. And here's oh, something sure. where you could have designers kind of go a little nuts and you could even have, uh, I mean, you could have a geode card. And what would you use that for? Would you use that right. geode as an interrupt? Would it be an effect? Would it be a character? Um, but I think that's the kind of fun thing about it. Whereas I think there's a lot of creativity you know since there's so much content you could get really creative with kind of things and i think that would that's definitely going to make sure it keeps it stay from getting stale but it's like i think there's almost like that Ooh, hey if there was this aha you know and uh i think that'd be fun and that kind of gives you probably something to look forward to um for the next tournament right well, speaking of geode we we do have a car that is called rock um <laughs> that's a weapon <laughs> And it's based on the uh, Han Solo in uh, in Solo when he throws the rock through to with the white worms and Proxima. Um, <laughs> it's a weapon. It's set up, and so. <laughs> oh man! So what is uh, what's the next um, what is the next uh, tournament coming up, and uh, will you be attending it? So the next turn. Over the course of the summer, uh, uh, really across the United States and across broader Europe, those are where our main gameplay contingencies are. We do have players in, say, Canada and Australia and other places. Over the course of the summer, what we have are both states and regional tournaments. And those would be, if I draw the parallel to say tennis or golf or other sporting events they're really just that one tier down so if, if we're talking tennis and maybe a an atp 1000 type of event or with golf it's that kind of next next tier down um highly competitive they have good prize support and those will be kind of organized more geographically in both europe and the united states accordingly in terms of the next major tournaments that we have coming up, there's <clears throat> going to be uh, U.S. Nationals in Minneapolis, and that is the weekend of July. July 16th is the, the main tournament, and there are some other dates around that. Our World Championships are set in October uh, in atlanta and then there's also coming up going to be the european championships that will be in um Bakum, germany as well have you ever been able to do any of the international ones i have not been able to do <laughs> any of the international ones but it's definitely on the say to-do list for uh 
to-do list in terms of that the European Championships. Those are going to be September 9th to the 11th, and then World Championships in Atlanta, Georgia are going to be October 13th to the 16th. There's no barrier to for any individuals to play if you want to, even if you haven't played the game uh, in 10 years, as long as you come with your deck sleeved up and entry fees paid, you're good to go accordingly. <laughs> there we go. So let's talk about some links and let's get some, uh, let's get some people interested in this community and where to find it and maybe some first steps they need to do. Sounds good. Uh, probably one of the best links is our players committee site. So that's starwarsccg.org. You can also find us on there's the players committee has both streaming on the Twitch and YouTube information as well. I kept on mentioning that GEMP site. GEMP is a, how our online ability to play. People are really open on, well, we can put these in the show notes. If you say, hey, I'm a, I'm a new player, I'm learning out the interface, just help. There are oftentimes people who are on the site who are more than willing to assist with that. And the other places kind of similar are both, as I mentioned, this community, we're not a huge community. So <laughs> we have our groupings on Slack and Facebook, and there are a lot of individuals who, who may have different um, interests, whether it be autographs or uh, autographs or graded cards or just simply collecting that you can find via various Facebook groups um, as well. Excellent, excellent. And then if somebody is kind of wanting to interact or reach out with you, what's the best place to find you online and maybe get some more information or, heck, you know, get, get, some, get some gaming on? Sounds good. Uh, the, the best place to reach me is really Instagram is where I'm the most active. I'm on there as Tashi, T-A-S-H-I underscore station. So I'll play on Tashi Station from, uh, from A New Hope. And on there, you'll find oftentimes I'm posting one of three main things, either Star Wars content, some Lego content uh, as being another hobby that I love or the aspects around our Star Wars CCG game. I'm looking at this. uh... Oh, you have a Doug Chang auto on the on the N1. That's pretty. That's amazing. I love some of this. Ah, I even like the, uh, there is a little, uh, looks like a framed, oh, here, something near and dear to my heart. We have a framed set of cards. Uh, ooh, and even the, looks like the players committee themselves have a uh, card there. I'm kind of looking. Now I'm just, so, nah. So, so that was a poster. It was one of our donation. Um, each year the players committee has various donation tiers similar to any of the, the nonprofits. And two years ago, it, one of the donation gifts was a framed poster poster of cards associated with the Rogue One theme. I believe this year's donation poster is associated with um, uh, with the First Order and Kylo Ren and Snoke and, and those characters. So I, I'm anxiously awaiting to see when that comes uh, when that comes out and what that looks like. Excellent, excellent. 
Uh, good Instagram channel as well. I'm really kind of enjoying some of this. Um, at any rate, alrighty. Well, I am going to. Uh, th- this was this was fun, and I I really, you know, it's one of those. I think I've probably, you know, I I haven't figured out. I think these cards have been waiting for me to figure out what to do with them, and I just could never part with them, whether I was going to give them away, whether I was going to toss them, <laughs> just because I think, like with a lot of my gaming, you know, I still have, you know, I have thousands of dollars worth of 40K stuff that I, I don't get a chance to play. And, you know, life happens. You, 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 you marry, you get a family, you move, you do something else, you move away from your, your local group and things like that. Um, but it's very hard to give up something, and especially if it's Star Wars related, it's, you know, this is something where, it's been fun to die back into here. It's kind of been fun to kind of look and see what I have. Um, and, you know, I think I have... Hold on for a second. Let me see if I grab this one. Not only my beloved Jack Porkins card. Um, this one's... It's interesting because you go through and you have like... You know, you have 500 Stormtroopers and Jawas and Tusken Raiders. And you can tell what the common card is. And then you have one like this. That's right. Um, uh, this is uh, Vader with Lightsaber. And uh, it looks, it, you know, sometimes when I see it, I only have one of them going, okay, that it's not listed in one of those, hey, you get this in the box, but uh, I'm like, no, that's a nice-looking card there. But also just the uh, the promo cards that were saying, like, you know, what was coming, coming soon, 1997 Cloud City, and they had a little picture of the what the box looked like in the packs, and now you can kind of go back and see, you think about, man, what would have been like to see that. And I remember, you know, almost buying some of these, I think just the only reason I did, I think it was just because at that point I'd had so many, I'm like, I'm not actually playing this game now. I'm just buying it, but you're buying, you know, you're getting so many cards at a go. Um, but this, uh, I I don't think I can part with this now. And at some point I'll just have to figure out how to play this thing again and, uh, start, maybe start in again and try to see if I can build a deck. Uh, I think that would be, that's, that sounds like a fun encounter, a fun, fun thing to do. And, uh, and, uh, check out the, players committee and just see what's going on and just seeing some of these great custom custom cards uh and uh something near and dear to my heart but i i can't thank you enough for spending a little bit of your time with me and kind of going over some of this uh this was a blast it's a nice aspect we haven't necessarily talked about i think enough on the podcast there's many different cards many different ways to uh collect and in some case play and uh, i just really appreciate the, the work that the players committee and uh, that community is doing to keep something going and uh who who wouldn't love to be on board with that definitely thanks for thanks for having me on and uh, i love the podcast um really enjoyed wristbands for breakfast and can't wait for (laughs) um bad batch for breakfast uh coming up later uh it's you know when you have people like greg cass and and all the folks and i was just thinking of you know as we're going through some of these shows and you know being able to talk about it and having some of these perspectives and stuff. Um, I, I just have, I have way too many people that are just very, very good to me and, uh, it's been fun. And I, and, uh, you know, it was right, right after celebration, you know, Greg posted, he's got a cup of coffee going there. And he's going, man, uh, I just wish I was across the, it makes me think I should be across the, the table from as we're having breakfast. And I'm like, yeah, we'd been through so many shows where we're on the other side of a zoom call and one, you know, the man is tall. Uh, every, I'm sure you're tall too. Everybody's taller than me. Everybody's taller in, in California, but it was just so much fun to have that time. And, you know, whenever we get a chance to do it, I know we're recording, you know, we'll be recording some during Kenobi. We we're going back to the bad batch. We got to figure out how we want to do that. And then we've got Andor and all this, uh, we'll be picking and choosing because, you know, you know, it's hard to kind of do that week to week, but it's fun. And I do like the format 
and uh you know it's fun when we get other people on and it's it's just a blast so it, this this is fun and uh once again uh, sam thank you so much for coming on and uh thank you very much to the players committee for this not only the excellent swag but um i love the cards um and uh keep making them this is it's really fun it's really fun sounds great thanks Craig. can i offer you a libation to celebrate the closing of our shared narrative once again my thanks to sam for being on the program tonight what a great episode this was i really enjoyed uh listening and finding out more about the game uh finding about how it's uh, alive and well and uh i do recommend checking out that uh star wars uh players committee website and all the great resources there and you know heck why not download some of those cards yourself and uh, get in on the game that's that's fun we can uh, keep this thing going long long time in the future what what a blast anyway all righty i'm gonna let card squadron take this one out and we'll talk to you next time the rebel base card podcast focuses on cards collecting and the star wars community and appreciates you coming along for the ride if you have any feedback for this episode, you can reach out to the program in a number of ways. You can leave a comment on the Instagram post for this episode. You can also DM Greg on Instagram at Rebel Base Card. Make sure to also follow the Rebel Base Card on Twitter and Facebook at Rebel Base Card. If you want, you can send an email to greg at rebelbasecard.com. And you can find show notes for this and all episodes on the website rebelbasecard.com In the Star Wars Card Trader app and just about every other one you can find Greg at CornFedTech The Rebel Base Card uses the hashtag CardSquadron as a way to alert friends about cool cards and recent drops in the galaxy far, far away It's a great way to bring our community a little bit closer together and help one another finish our sets in time We collect, communicate and commiserate well, at least when we run out of credits or crystals to spend on our digital collections. Join the fun, even if all the other cool squadron names were already taken. And remember, we collect as one and would be honored if you join us. And if you are a sketch card artist or Star Wars artist or collector, cosplayer, and want to talk about your work, your craft or passion, drop Greg a line. I'm sure he'd love to hear your story. You can also help the show by leaving a comment or review on Apple Podcasts or wherever you got this episode. Otherwise, the mission is clear. Keep those cards out of the hands of the Empire, and the Rebel Base card will return soon. The music for this podcast is brought to you under a Creative Commons license from Trent Reznor and Nine Inch Nails. This is Discipline off the album The Slip. This podcast is not affiliated in any way with Topps, Disney, or Star Wars, nor is it endorsed by Disney or Lucasfilm, and is intended for entertainment and informational purposes only. All names and sounds, and any other related items, are properties of their respective trademarks and or copyright holders here in the U.S. and abroad. The official Star Wars website can be found at www.starwars.com.